0: you are receiving this transmission, you are Reclaiming the Faith with Phil Baker on the 4th Watch Radio Network. Network. Welcome to Episode 10 of Reclaiming the Faith. A podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now let's dig into history. Hey everyone, thank you so much for taking time to listen to the podcast. I am so appreciative of your support and your prayers. Episode 10 is a special episode of where I give the listener an audio version of chapter 3 of my book, New, Wineskins, and the Simple Words of Christ. And the title of this chapter is John, Wayne, and Jesus. And in it, I examine the way our various traditions and preferences that filter our view of Jesus and his teachings have affected the way that we approach Jesus' command to love our enemies. I also discuss how using the game of telephone backwards can help us determine what the orthodox position of the church actually was concerning this command of our Christ. And if you're blessed by this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave an honest review on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith. Also, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me at my website, reclaimingthefaith.podbean.com, or you can email me at email phil s baker at gmail.com. I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Falls fourth watch radio network, along with BDK of Omega frequency, who I do a monthly Q and a show with called ready with an answer. In addition to our own channels, you can find each of our podcasts at the fourth watch radio website, or on the fourth watch radio podcast. And finally, The early Christian quotes I use can be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers. You can purchase your copy for $5 on the Scroll Publishing website. Alright, let's get to the episode. There are several pictures of me as a child wearing a pseudo-buckskin jacket and pants with fringed edges and a coonskin cap. I didn't just admire Davy Crockett, the king of the wild frontier, I was Davy Crockett. I even tried to wear that silly costume to school. But fortunately, I wasn't allowed. Though that hurt my feelings at the time, someone in authority over me understood that I didn't need to give my peers another reason to crack jokes on the short, stinky, sickly, skinny, hyperactive, slightly dyslexic, Pale Kid with Napoleon Dynamite Hair. Davy Crockett became my hero after I saw John Wayne play him in the 1960 film The Alamo, where he swung his discharged rifle at approaching enemy soldiers as the screen faded to black. After seeing that movie, I became fascinated with the story of the Battle of the Alamo and the history of the Texas Revolution. Over time, I began to realize that there were several accounts of Crockett's death. Some portrayed him in an even larger-than-life light than John Wayne chose to, while others depicted scenes that were not too flattering. Honestly, seeing those varying accounts upset me. I was quite content with remembering Crockett going down like John Wayne did— And I desperately wanted the historical evidence to back up the tradition passed on to me. So, in a situation like this, how are we supposed to determine whose version is true? Well, one step is to play the game of telephone backward. Do you remember this game from birthday parties when you were 6-10 to years old? Everyone sat in a circle and an adult whispered a silly sentence to one of the kids like, spray-painting hippos near the river with your wife isn't wise without a rifle. And that kid would then try to remember the sentence correctly and whisper it into the ear of the person on his or her left. The process would go on until the message was communicated back to the first child, and inevitably the last message would sound drastically different than the first, and everyone would have a good laugh. We would then trace the message backward and laugh even more when we determined who was responsible for distorting the interpretation and therefore when those distortions occurred. And What I'm calling the game of telephone is merely... One of the basic filtering systems that historians use to determine something's historical veracity. Well, how about the doctrines of Christianity? Have you ever noticed that four theological experts can look at a simple passage like Matthew 5, verse 44, where Jesus says, love your enemies, and then come away with four different interpretations? So, which of the four has the right interpretation of the original message? If you were using the game of telephone principle, where would you start to determine the original interpretation of the message? Of course, you would start at the original source and then hear the testimony of each successive person onward. You would start with studying how Jesus interpreted this command in his other words and also with his actions. Then, since no student is above his master, you would look at how the writings and actions of Jesus' apostles and disciples backed up the life and teaching of Jesus. And finally, if possible, you would look at the writings of the disciples of the apostles the writings and accounts of the early church up to 313 A.D., the time of Emperor Constantine's Treaty of Milan, and see if they both taught and lived out the same things Jesus and the apostles taught and lived out. So let's look at some of the writings of Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament right now. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 43-48. through 48. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus also says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And of course, he's saying that while on the cross being crucified. This is Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 17 to 19 and verse 21. He says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good again the apostle paul writes in 1st timothy chapter 1 verse 15 through 16 christ jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom i am the foremost of all yet for this reason i found mercy so that in me as the foremost jesus christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Peter writes this in his first letter, first Peter chapter two, verse 21 through 23. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth and while being reviled he did not revile in return while suffering he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously and finally 1 john this is john 1 john chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 i am writing these things to you so that you may not sin and if anyone sins we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now let's look at some testimony from the early church. And by the way, that was just a small sampling. Of uh, Jesus and the apostles' teachings and actions concerning uh, the way we are to love enemies. But I digress. Let's look at the testimony from the early church. This is the Didache. And people are not totally sure of the date of the Didache. It could range from anywhere from like 80 AD to 140. And the author writes this The teaching of the way of life is this Bless those who curse you. And pray for your enemies fast for those who persecute you for what reward is there. If you love only those who love you, do not the Gentiles also do the same rather love those who hate you and you will not have an enemy. This is Aristides now in 125 in an apology to the, the emperor. He writes about the Christians. He says, They comfort their oppressors and make them their friends. They do good to their enemies. Now, Justin Martyr around 160, and sorry, Aristides was around 125. This is Justin Martyr around 160 AD. He says this in an an apology also to the emperor. He says, Now, we pray for our enemies, and try to win those who hate us unjustly, so that they too may live in accordance with Christ's wonderful teachings, that they too may enter into the expectation, that they too may receive the same good things that we receive from God, the ruler of the universe. This is Athenagoras in 175 AD. He says, I say to you, Quoting Jesus, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, pray for them that persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven, who causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Irenaeus in 180, he says this, Jesus commanded his followers not only to not hate men, but also to love their enemies. He commanded not only to not injure their neighbors, nor to do them any evil, but also, when they are dealt with wickedly, to be long-suffering. Clement of Alexandria, 195, writes this, He, Jesus, bids us to love our enemies, to bless them that curse us, and to pray for those who despitefully use us. An enemy must be aided so that he may not continue as an enemy. For by help, good feeling is compacted and enmity is dissolved. This is Commodianus in 240 CE. He says, Do not willingly use force and do not return force when it is used against you. In Cyprian in 250, Writes this, Christians do not attack their assailants in return, for it is not lawful for the innocent to kill even the guilty. The hand must not be spotted with the sword and blood, not after the Eucharist is carried in it. And Lactantius is somewhere between 304 and 313, writes this, religion is to be defended Not by putting to death, but by dying. Not by cruelty, but by patient endurance. Not by guilt, but by good faith. For the former belongs to evil, but the latter to the good. For if you wish to defend religion by bloodshed, tortures, and guilt, it will no longer be defended. Rather, it will be polluted And profaned. When I began reading these words for the first time, they were hard to swallow. But regardless of my feelings, here's the important question Do they line up with Jesus's life and teaching and the lives and teachings of the apostles? Well, clearly they do. And yes, I'm aware that the early Christian writers did make errors, and there are certain areas of doctrine where they are not all in agreement. However, the issue of non-resistance is one in which the early church was completely united for the first 300 years of Christendom, despite facing intense persecution. Non-resistance was obviously the way of Jesus and the Apostles in the New Testament. And perhaps one of the most beautiful descriptions of the early Christians is found in a document called A Letter to Diognetus, written sometime between 125 and 200 A.D. Here's an excerpt. Christians cannot be distinguished from the rest of humankind by country, speech, or customs. They take part in everything as citizens, and endure everything as aliens. Every foreign country is their homeland, and every homeland is a foreign country to them. They live on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws, but through their life they surpass these laws. They love all people and are persecuted by all. Nobody knows them, and yet they are condemned. They are put to death, and just through this, they are brought to life. They are poor as beggars, and yet they make many rich. They lack everything, and yet they have everything in abundance. They are dishonored, and yet they have their glory in this very dishonor. They are insulted, and just in this they are vindicated. They are abused, and yet they bless. They are assaulted, and yet it is they who show respect. Doing good, they are sentenced like evildoers. When punished with death, they rejoice in the certainty of being awakened to life. In a word, what the soul is in the body, the Christians are in the world. So, what would cause Christians all over the world to act this way, especially when it was so dangerous to be labeled as a Christian? Well, I believe the simple answer is that they took Jesus' words simply and seriously. Jesus knew that if he put his needs above ours and refused to die, we could not be saved. And he could not therefore bear fruit for the kingdom of God. But if he put our needs above his, he could save and transform his enemies into sons and daughters of God that would bear much fruit for God's kingdom. The early Christians recognized this simple example Christ set for us. They understood that when we put the needs of our enemies above ourselves, the power of the gospel is unleashed. They can't help but see Jesus. And Jesus promised us that when he is lifted up, he will draw all people to himself. They also believed the Lord Jesus when he said, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. That's from John chapter 12. And if we are really servants of the one we call our Lord, we must follow our leader's example. And if we do, we will be where he is. Now, whenever I start pontificating on such matters, someone always interjects with the question, but what would you do if someone broke into your house and wanted to hurt your wife? Well, let me put it like this. I don't know what I would do, but I know what I should do. And I know what I should do, Because I know what Jesus did do. Jesus laid down his life for everyone. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not just our sins, but the sins of the whole world. And I don't want to be responsible for sending someone to hell that Jesus died to save. However, I know I'm capable of snapping when people act in what I perceive as a threatening way toward my wife. I'll give you an example. When I was a youth minister, I had to apologize to a high school student for driving my knee into his neck after he body slammed my wife for mocking him after he made a fool of himself playing kickball. In situations like that, my innate tendency has often been to act more like John Wayne than Jesus and to see Santa Ana's soldiers as the quote unquote bad guys rather than people that Jesus died to ransom. You know, love has a strong desire to protect because, as Paul the Apostle says, love always protects so the question I now need to ask myself is, who has Jesus called me to love? Well, first and foremost, he has called me to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm also called to love my neighbors as myself, my brothers and sisters in Christ, my wife, my kids, and my enemies. Are not all Christians called to imitate Christ by demonstrating the love of God to all people? Are not all Christians, therefore, called to imitate Christ by seeking to protect the soul of every person on the planet from the deceit and ultimate destruction desired for them by our real enemies, the devil, and the spiritual forces of darkness? Are not all Christians called to fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons rather than physical battles with physical weapons and promise divine power to help us overcome our true adversaries? My boyhood hero, Davy Crockett, he taught me that it was okay to kill as many people as necessary in order to protect one's land. But in Psalm 24, verse 1 through 2, the true hero, God, gives us the correct perspective. The psalmist writes, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. You see, God is the creator, so he owns creation. As Abraham Kuyper says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And yet, some sick place in me prefers to say, no my rights as a Texan, my house, my stuff, my life. I know I've hurt so many people when my actions reflected a modified version of Jesus' words, a version that said, Jesus is right in most situations, but there are practical exceptions where there is a better way. You know, I've frequently been so selfish and in those times demonstrated such a lack of trust in God. It seems that I often prefer the Davy Crockett kind of hero rather than the true hero God offers us in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. Now, I'm not sure... What happened to Davy Crockett in the end? But in Acts chapter 7, verse 55 through 56, we read how Stephen, one of the first deacons of the church, was stoned to death by the members of the Sanhedrin for acting and speaking like Jesus. A young, zealous Pharisee named Saul looked on and approved of their actions, So, like his master Jesus, Stephen chose to pray for their forgiveness. And then, being full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Can you imagine being Stephen in that moment? You know, I'm terrified and inspired at the thought. Surely the stones ceased to matter when Stephen's eyes met his Savior's. In Stephen's account, Demonstrates the veracity of Jesus' words in John twelve twenty six. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So may Jesus Christ be your true hero. And may you serve and follow him no matter the cost. May you abide in him and let him be him in you. May you seek to love and protect the souls of all humanity from the snares of the devil. May your thoughts, your words, and actions be full of peace. May you not be overcome by evil, but rather overcome evil with good. And may you be new wineskins for God to pour the new wine of Jesus Christ into, that blessings would be unleashed into the world as you walk as Jesus walked by the power of the Holy Spirit.
1: Passive soul Awaken me to know The power that you showed When you arose And crushed the head of death To make all things new again And turn enemies to friends And brothers When armies encamp against me now You fill me with faith to not back down the darkest nights You are the stronghold of my life Though the rest take flight I'll join in the fight Your victory is mine Take, take this coward soul Awaken me to know The fellowship of suffering like you, Lord To conquer hate with love Like Jesus, rise above The violence that will transform no one When armies encamp against me now You fill me with faith to not back down Light you, flight, you light the darkest of nights. You are the stronghold of my life. Though the rest take flight, I'll join in the fight. Your victory is my You light the darkest of nights. You are the stronghold of my life. Though the rest take flight, I'll join in the fight. Your victory is my eye. Victory is mine. Oh, oh, when armies encamp against me now, you fill me with faith to not back down. You save even when I can't see how. I know I am never alone. The darkest of nights You are the stronghold of my life Though the rest take flight I'll join in the fight Your victory is mine You light the darkest of nights You are the stronghold of my life Though the rest take flight I'll join in the fight Your victory is mine Oh, oh, oh I will, join in the fight. Oh, I will join in the fight I will join in the fight I will join in the fight